Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, Broadcom's new national security problem and SoftBank makes a play to buy WeWork. But first, extreme weather. The big news this morning is that Hurricane Michael has rapidly intensified into a Category 4 storm, with expectations that it will make landfall later today. If it remains that strong, it would be the first Category 4 ever to hit the Florida panhandle, and there are concerns all the way west to Alabama, with huge storm surge and wind warnings. Now, this comes just days after a landmark United Nations report on climate change, warning that there is still time to keep global warming pretty close to pre-industrial levels, but only if the world takes, quote, unprecedented steps in the next decade to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and how a lot of us live our lives. The report was conducted by a team of 91 scientists from around the world who reviewed over 6,000 studies and 42,000 peer-reviewed comments, and they found that the risks of not heeding their warnings could be catastrophic. Now, to be sure, Hurricane Michael and climate change are not necessarily directly linked, as we had plenty of hurricanes before the Industrial Age. But scientific consensus is that extreme weather is indeed on the rise and that our actions are contributing to it. Now, not everyone agrees, including President Trump, but those who dissent are very much in the minority. The bottom line here is that the world has a pretty hard choice to make. Accept the majority opinion, which could lead to a lot of short-term pain, or go with the minority and risk putting future generations in a danger that they won't be able to work their way out of. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on this with Andrew Friedman, Axios Science Editor. But first, this. Axios Chief Technology Correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech, from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to Get Smarter Faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. We're joined now by Andrew Friedman, Axios Science Editor and our extreme weather expert. So, Andrew, every hurricane obviously is bad for the people who are in it, but you mentioned to me via Slack earlier that this is potentially shaping up to be a nightmare scenario. Why is this one potentially so bad? This one's potentially so bad because it intensified at an incredibly rapid rate. So what we saw was the category of this storm went from, you know, yesterday morning, it was uh, about a category two, upgraded to category three later in the day. And then it was upgraded to category four late last night. But what weather forecasters were seeing on the satellite imagery and on other data that was streaming in over about three hours last night was making forecasters have just this sense of dread in the pit of their stomach as this storm just explosively intensified. So the aircraft that were flying inside the storm were recording pressure drops that were on the order of magnitude of some of the greatest rapid intensification rates that have been documented. I wonder, is there any reason to believe right now, and by the time a lot of people are listening to this, maybe we'll already know, but is there a reason to believe that this could de-intensify? I'm sure there's a better word than that, but not be a Category 4 by the time it hits? No. The history of storms in this part of Florida is that as hurricanes approach the panhandle, they tend to weaken. 
There's a number of studies on why that might be. However, this storm defied the odds in intensifying in the first place, and it's defying that historical trend. There's nothing. Time is running out. Andrew, every time we get to hurricane season, it seems like there's always one or two really awful storms. Obviously, last year we had a couple, one Houston, uh, the one that hit the Caribbean and Puerto Rico. Are we seeing an actual increase in the number of these, whether they be hurricanes or other kind of uh, catastrophic extreme weather events, or do we just kind of pay more attention now because we've got more cable news and the internet? Both, sort of. It depends what category of storms you're talking about. So the consensus view is that hurricanes in a warmer world are going to drop more rain on average. They're going to dump more rainfall. We saw that with two stalled hurricanes. We saw that with Hurricane Harvey, and we saw that most recently with Hurricane Florence. And Florence is the one that just hit the Carolinas, what, three weeks ago? Yeah, and both of those set all-time rainfall records for multiple states. We will also see a trend towards the more intense storms becoming more frequent and a little bit more intense. So what I mean is, Rather than having a broad spread of storms of a bunch of Category 1s and then one Category 4 in a season, you'll have a couple of Category 4s in a season. However, there is also a consensus that there'll be fewer hurricanes overall in a warmer world. Okay, and now I'm confused. So think fewer in number, greater in strength. Interesting. So, Andrew, I want to try to connect these two things in the UN report a little bit in the following sense. The situation you're referring to, or the potential situation you're referring to, fewer storms, more intense storms, more rainfall, is that inevitable? Or at least based on what the UN report said, is it in theory, reversible or at least able to be stopped in its tracks? So to some extent, we're already seeing it happen. And to some extent, we're likely to see it continue because there is warming in the pipeline. Most of the warming is in the oceans, and that's where hurricanes get their energy from. However, what the UN report made starkly clear is that the best time to have reduced climate warming emissions was about 25 years ago. The second best time is right now. And we don't have more than another 12 years to get a handle on the problem if you want to limit the warming to the more stringent target. So we're in for, depending on the emissions levels that you agree to, we're in for a greater or less amount of hurt in the future. You're from my home state of Massachusetts, but you now live in D.C., so so I think kind of everyone who lives in D.C. kind of breeds politics to a certain extent. 25 years ago, we really didn't do very much. When you think of the politics of it right now, where, where you truly, where climate change has become a partisan issue for some reason, a scientific issue has become a partisan issue, do we have any reason to believe, at least in the U.S., that what the U.N. is proposing or suggesting needs to be done is actually something that will be done here, and, and maybe not even just here, but something that we could really get global consensus on? That is something that reporters, including myself, pressed the UN authors about during the press conference when they unveiled the report. Because to myself and every other reporter who covers this issue, the answer is no. It's not politically feasible. It's not politically plausible. It's maybe just an academic exercise that people wasted thousands of hours on doing. However, it's technically possible. It's possible from the laws of physics. And in order to cover this issue and in order to be human, you have to have some sense of hope. 
you have to have some sense that, hey, maybe humanity will come to its senses and act in a concerted way and in a way that makes a lot of people a ton of money in terms of investing in renewables and investing in new carbon capture technologies. So I don't think we will reach the 1.5 degree target that's in the UN report politically. I just don't think it'll happen. I actually don't think the two degree target will happen. I think we'll overshoot both of those. But the question is for how long and how quickly we come back down afterwards. And there's a whole lot of actions happening in the U.S. at state and local levels in our home state of Massachusetts, for example, lots happening. And in other countries, China, the European Union, there are other countries that are leading the way, but nobody is moving fast enough and nobody is moving with the ambition that is required to meet the challenge. Thank you so much to Andrew Freeman, Axios Science Editor. My final two right after this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique Smart Brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is potentially some very bad news for Broadcom. The big semiconductor company that earlier this year tried to buy San Diego's Qualcomm, but was blocked by President Trump on national security grounds. In short, Trump and others had worries that Broadcom, which was based at the time in Singapore, had too many close ties to Chinese interests in terms of its customer base and where most of its manufacturing is. Now, Broadcom, of course, wasn't happy, but it soon moved its headquarters to the U.S., which it had been planning to do anyway, and agreed to buy a big software company called CA for around $18 billion dollars. That deal seemed to be moving along fine with plans to close in November, but until this morning, when Kentucky Senator Rand Paul may have dumped a giant fly in Broadcom's punch bowl, telling Homeland Security Director Kristen Nielsen that there should be a national security review of the Broadcom CA merger, largely because CA software is used in everything from the Defense Department to nuclear power plants. Bottom line, CA stock fell sharply after Paul's comments, and Broadcom was taken by surprise. What seemed to be a sure bet for November is now very much in question. And finally, the Wall Street Journal reported last night that SoftBank, the huge Japanese investment firm, is in talks to buy WeWork, the co-working space giant. Now, SoftBank already owns around 20% of WeWork, which it paid over $4 billion for last year, but this would obviously be a major escalation and one of the first times that it has spent huge money on a money-losing startup. What we're hearing, however, is that the talks have evolved to the point where WeWork co-founder and CEO Adam Newman actually wouldn't give up control. He had been willing to in earlier talks, thus the journal's info, but now he's not. Bottom line, the situation remains very fluid, and it's not even clear any deal will necessarily happen. And we're done. Thanks for listening. And to my producers, Adam Grassi and Tim Shovers, have a great World Mental Health Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.